0: From 8th Street to 8 Mile Road, from I-5 to Highway 99,
1: Podcast Stockton. Stockton. I love this town. Most miserable city? I don't think so. The show all about the great life in Stockton, California. This is Podcast Stockton. Welcome to Podcast Stockton for September 30th, 2013. I'm Susan Spraker.
2: And I'm Matt Beckwith. Welcome back to all of our returning listeners. If this is your first time listening to Podcast Stockton, thanks for checking out the show. We'd love to hear your feedback. Call or text our listener line at 565-3229 or send your email to podcaststockton at gmail.com.
1: Coming up on today's show, Matt and I talk about our first jobs, We learn about Bogstracht Community Farm, and we review downtown Stockton's new restaurant, French 25. Do you remember what your very first job was?
2: Well, as you know, I have had more jobs than I can count. But I do remember my first job, and uh, this this time of year actually always gets me thinking about, People going to work after college or high school or whatever. Yeah, so, it's that uh, time of year. So yeah, uh, a very appropriate timing. I do remember your. I do remember mine. I don't remember yours. What was your first job?
1: I had the best first job. I was an um, ice cream scooper at Swenson's Ice Cream.
2: A Swenson's Ice Cream? Do you
1: remember Swenson's Ice Cream?
2: I do not. Where was it?
1: That was over by Kmart. Over where Stone Creek Center is now, there was Kmart and there was a movie theater, and about two doors down, there was Swenson's Ice Cream. Now
2: I remember it. Yeah. Now I remember I love that movie theater. That was an
1: awesome job. I was 15 and a half.
2: Wow. And your job was to scoop ice cream.
1: Yeah. And, you know, make milkshakes. I mean, they did all kinds of stuff make milkshakes and sundaes and.
2: Wow. And yeah. you didn't sing songs for money like we do a culture No. Stone.
1: No. There was no or like Ferrells, remember Ferrells oh, yeah. came out with the big no, there was no singing. I didn't have to audition for that job. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: So you were in high school and you were you were auditioning. I was.
1: And I was fifteen and a half and so they could get away with paying you what they called the training wage.
2: Oh. And so
1: I still remember that um I was literally making two dollars and eighty five cents an hour for that job.
2: Oh boy. I know. Wow. And
1: was happy to have it. Wow. Yeah. It was good.
2: That's pretty crazy.
1: It was. What was yours?
2: Well, geographically, not too far away. In really? Fact, if you, uh, if you head out of Swenson's and just cross Robin Hood. Yeah. My first job was Shakey's Pizza.
1: <gasps> I loved Shakey's Pizza. Shakey's Pizza. Pizza. I had birthdays there and stuff. Man, that place was great.
2: I loved that job. And I worked there my very first job. I was so excited. Um, I didn't work in high school because my grades were terrible. That's and one way to get out
1: of getting yeah, a well, job my in high school. Said, I you know, wish focus you would have told on, me
2: that. Um, focus, on sc- on, um, uh, focus on graduating high school. and So right after high school, I got that job. Oh, you know what? I take that back. I, I worked at the very end of high school because I needed work experience credits to graduate from high school. <laughs> Good deal. But I got the job, and I was hired as a dishwasher. And all my friends were like, that that's the worst job ever. You should have, you know, they should have hired you to make pizzas. And, I'm, and I love washing dishes because you walked in, into the scullery and there was all these dishes and it was, you know, the pans. And I just had to, you know, get them through the system, you know, get them through the dishwasher. And mm-hmm. I loved that job. And I remember how much I made, Because uh, minimum wage was $3.35 an hour. That's right.
1: um, I was working up to that.
2: Yeah. And not too long after I went to work there, it got bumped to four and a quarter. And I'll never forget a guy that I worked with said, wow, we just got this huge, or he said, I just got this huge raise. And I said, we all got the same raise, but I got, you know, I'd washed dishes for a while and then I went and made pizzas and uh, I actually met some people there at that job. That I am still friends with today.
1: Really, that's awesome. I'm still
2: friends with today. In fact, uh, the um, very first interview in podcast Stockton was a, a guy named Tom who used to do Shakey's Shakey's late night karaoke. Um, nice. There, and uh, that's how I met him all those many years ago. Shakey's Pizza.
1: I still, th- you know the the goodness of Facebook. I still have a couple friends from Swenson's Ice Cream that I'm friends with on Facebook too. Wow. Yeah, it was cool because the, you know the managers there were all older. You know they were like college kids, so they're like 20, 21, and you know I'm fifteen and 15 <laughs> and a half. And, yeah, and so you know that was pretty fun to hang out with them. But
2: so how long was Shakey's there? I mean, it was there for a long time. Yeah, it was until they became Mountain Mikes. Um, but uh, uh, I miss Shakey's. In fact, if I'm ever out of town, and I see Shakey's. I always go in and ask if they make Mojo potatoes because the Mojo potatoes on the all-you-can-eat pizza buffet. Were, uh, were my favorite. But,
1: nobody uh, made them like Shakey's, I bet. Nobody made it.
2: And Shakey's, that place was, you know, on Friday and Saturday nights. I mean, I, 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 uh, um, I remember, you know, working Friday nights and, and staying after my shift to hang out at karaoke when they were doing karaoke. And, and uh, I also remember getting in trouble for cleaning a table that had beer glasses on it because I wasn't oh. old enough to remove beer glasses. Oh. But uh, yeah, that was, that, maybe that's what started my love for pizza. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll never forget when I had I had an uncle that said, um, "You got to get out of the restaurant business and, and go into retail." And my uncle was uh, started at Montgomery Ward's the day Montgomery Ward's opened in Stockton, uh, and uh, he was the last employee out of the building when they closed. Wow! Spent his entire career with with Montgomery Ward's, and he said, "You got to get into retail. That's where the money's at." Um, and so,
1: did you? Did you I ever did. get into retail?
2: My, I stayed at Shakey's for about a year, and then went to kids R us they were opening a brand new store and stocking right behind the mall and they had this big huge hiring event and I went there in my shirt and tie and and I spent like three years with your kids spiffy us. resume I bet spiffy resume and, yeah uh, I had a, i had quite the career at uh, kids at kids R us I sold at one time I was in a kid's shoe department and my friends Wow would me, my friends would call me Al Bundy <laughs>
1: Yeah, I bet that was a treat. The kids' shoe department. I was gonna say, yeah, I did. I followed you right across the street to Macy's.
2: Oh, you were fancy. See, I I wasn't fancy enough to work at Macy's. Well,
1: I wouldn't say that because guess where I started? In the fitting room. I mean, that's like starting in the closet,
2: you know, in retail. (laughs) You have to make sure nobody's stealing anything. anything. Yeah,
1: you have to hang up the stuff that, you know, people just throw the clothes and the hangers at you. And, you know, so you sort of hang up clothes and, yeah, make sure that the number of clothes that go in are the same number that come out. And, yeah. So that's where I started my retail. I was there for about, I don't know, three or four years because then I I did get promoted out of the fitting room and uh, got to be a sales associate in the domestics department.
2: Um. The Domestics Department? And that's
1: what it was called. So that's basically... pots and pans? No, what, sheets, the, oh, I towels, domestics are. mattresses. Whites and linens Whites and, and linens and things. Wow. Decorative throw pillows. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I never got to work at Macy's. I, mm-hmm. There was one place that I spent my entire childhood wanting to work and I was never cool enough to work there. Tower Records.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: And I Tower went in there Records. and I knew a lot about music and I tried to, to sell that and I, I didn't have the image. I was just a...
1: You were probably would, way too clean cut for that gig. Well, I had
2: a mullet, but the mullet—they had plenty of mullet people there, but I wasn't—I wasn't eclectic enough. I don't know. Uh-huh. Never you, got to work.
1: You weren't that. a hippie
2: freak. <laughs> <laughs> no. If you were, uh, if you had the luxury of being a teenager now in Stockton, where where, where would you want to work? Um. There's no more Hammer Skate or Nine next to No, but you know, places.
1: it's funny. I have to tell you that I have always sort of had this secret desire to work at Barnes and Noble really yeah I mean if I was going to go back to retail again and I see a lot of people that I know um working at Trader Joe's now like that's a cool place to work and but if I was going to go I would really like to work at Barnes and Noble I think that'd be a cool job nice yeah what nice. about you
2: I'd, I'd work at a music store yeah and just play music all day yeah <laughs> like t- let me tune the guitars all day or something <laughs> yeah right I never got to do that when I was a kid either
1: yeah And we'd love to hear what your first jobs were. Um, Hit us up on Facebook and leave a comment about your favorite place to work.
2: I spent some time with my family recently out at the Bogstrack Community Farm. Bogstrack is an area situated just off of the Port of Stockton. I got an opportunity to learn about um, community farms and community supported agriculture. And in between rolling up my sleeves and actually getting some work done, I did get a chance to speak with uh, quite a few people out there and um, here uh, here are their stories.
3: My name is Harriet Elise Baptiste, and I am 13 years old.
2: So Harriet, um, how long have you been coming out to um, to the Bogstrack Community Farm? Three years. And uh, what what were you doing today?
3: Well today we picked some strawberries, did the chickens, like I mean by fixing their water feeders, picking the eggs from their crates, washing the eggs, putting them in packages, and we got some cucumbers, melons, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't really know the name of.
2: <laughs> uh, and um, why do you uh, why do you like coming out here? I assume you like coming out here, so, but why do you why do you like coming out here?
3: Cause I like I like finding new things that like I've never seen or heard of. I like examining it, like like how science is, how you like discovering new things. Like I like discovering new things and building things like it's really fun.
2: Wow and you uh, I get the sense that you like hanging out with the chickens right is that true?
3: Yes it is.
2: So what is it about the chickens?
3: Like how their species is how how their past has been and how like how amazing they are how they act.
2: Yeah and I um you mentioned that you got the some of the eggs that they get uh, they lay a lot of eggs lately?
3: Not since we not since we fixed the sinkhole, they've been really stressed. And
2: so, what does that mean that they've, they've been stressed? So I understood that there was a sinkhole. It's been repaired now. It uh, it displaced some of the or displaced where the chickens were. Uh, how does a chicken act when they're distressed?
3: Well, let's see. They don't they don't really lay as much eggs as they used to, 'cause today they laid only 67 eggs and usually they lay at least 130 so it's there I could tell their stress yeah
2: wow so why is it important for uh for kids your age to come out and spend a little bit of time on on a on a working farm like this
3: to learn about the things to make you healthy that can give you a nice diet to help you like lose weight and exercise more to keep you balanced with your life so nothing like is unbalanced in in your life.
2: Well there's lots of uh, lots of opportunity to eat junk food and drink uh, uh, a lot of unhealthy drinks and you come out here and there's none of that so um, do you find yourself you know when you're at school surrounded by junk food do do you forget sometimes that there's all of this other you know, wonderful rich food that's uh, available to you, or should I say I should say, do your friends tease you or make fun of you because you spend time on a farm and you're surrounded by good food instead of junk food? Yes, they do. <laughs> and how do you respond to that?:
3: I just tell them like if you or me, like you would put be put in my shoes to come out here and just have fun instead of eating junk food and killing yourself with your blood pressure, diabetes, and like I, I know kids don't want that. Cause it's, it'll ruin their lives. Like they can never get over it if it's really serious. So yeah, it's.
2: Yeah. Do you have a favorite fruit or a favorite vegetable that that, uh, you, that you grow out here?
3: My favorite fruit is the strawberries cause they're really rich and nice and juicy. And then my favorite vegetable, I think it would be the corn cause the corn is nice and thick and it's very juicy like the strawberries and like it has like a rich flavor that so good.
2: Nice. Very much. Thank you very much for giving me your time.
3: You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
4: My name is Marty Siegel, and um, I guess my role is construction coordinator or design and construction coordinator for the farm.
2: And uh, so, tell me, um, tell me what what that entails, what your work entails here at the Boggsack Community Farm.
4: Well, basically, I try to help out with building projects. I do a lot of work when we have volunteers. When we have some big volunteer groups come in, and so I try to help to coordinate that. I'm also designing a few of the structures so that we um, can get some things built here that, that help you know, further what we're trying to do. So, we've got a shade structure in the living room area, which is where we're standing right now, and you can see how hot it is. And so, one of our first priorities, or one of our next priorities, is to get a shade structure here so that we can have meetings and things here and people aren't just out in the blazing sun and uh, provide a central point. So if you look at it it's kind of looks like little city blocks with the way mm-hmm. the the community farmers laid out. And So I sort of think of this as the central square or uh, as I like to call it, the living room. So a place that when people come here and work, they can take a break and hang out with other people, have kids out and uh, but in the shade and then eventually to have a whole test kitchen set up so that we have mm-hmm like a place to show how to prepare things that people may not be familiar with because we're getting all these vegetables and things and it's like well what do you do with you know what do you do with kale and how do you work with it and so the idea to get that and where we can have demonstrations and things and and then make it so you're not out in the sun blazing away so wow
2: yeah great so uh, why why did you get involved in this in this project
4: I got involved in this project. Um, you know, I just I, I had heard about it a little bit, and then came out to, to maybe do some repairs. I didn't know much about it. I through my wife, and came out here and was like, "Wow, the repairs are fine. I'll do that." But let's talk about the big concept because I'm really interested in the idea of community farming and also trying to help with you know work in this area. We're fairly new here. We've only been here for two years, and to come into Central Valley and figure out what it is and see all this big food production. And then, but also to be able to say, well, where are, you know, where do, where can you get organic vegetables? And and, to, and where do people who are working in the big farms, where can they get their food? So sort of uh, as a concept that can maybe spread to other locations and make it available so more people can start growing some of their food is really interesting, especially based on organic principles. So,
2: And you come from, uh, before here, from the Pacific Northwest, if I remember right. So yeah. coming here <laughs> into the the, uh, the agricultural center of, of the United States, um, Do you have things like, did you have things like this where you came from?
4: Uh, Yes. I, in fact, was a member of a CSA farm, community-supported agriculture farm, which is part of what happens here, Uh, although I hadn't worked that much on them and uh, had not done work on a community farm. But uh, living in Oregon for 18 years is very different because I really didn't know what irrigation was because, you know, it rains there. Although you have to have irrigation there in the summer. But the, the truth is that it's very different here with the amount of sun. And, like, it's my God, anything will grow, and the soil is good. And so it's a matter. It's very exciting. Uh, to be able to grow almost year-round, and really is able to grow year-round if, you, if you're planning. And I'm new, kind of new to the planning part of it. That's, that's a learning process for me. But if I can help, you know, sort of coordinate when we get the volunteers to do things like the uh, cold storage building and eventually bringing in some solar power and some solar cooling and things like that are really exciting and I think it'll be really fun. And then show people that these are things they can do in their backyard. And just to be able in a very small area to grow. We, we were encouraged, and we've actually taken our backyard, and about half of it now is gone. It's in vegetables. So it's kind of exciting. because like, wow, I, uh, this is much better than last year. We've got things growing here. It's, it's really cool. So,
2: Do you have a favorite crop to grow?
4: Uh, you know, I would say tomatoes because I really miss them. I grew them um, when I was growing up. My, my family grew them in Virginia, just, you know, in the backyard. And, and I miss having really good tomatoes. And in Oregon, they, they aren't really good. So to have a longer growing season here has been pretty exciting. Of course, we have too many of them now. So,
2: Great. Marty, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Sure.
5: My name is Shanna Eller, I am the Sustainability Director for University of the Pacific in Stockton and I have a kind of a dual role right now out here in the garden as Sustainability Director Um, On campus I have a role with our new campus garden Um, was formed this last year it's a food producing garden funded by one of our Board of Regents a gentleman named Walter Robb who's the co-CEO of Whole Foods which is a national grocer very invested in locally grown food Um, and so we had a campus garden starting this last year and that actually allowed me as a citizen a resident of Stockton to get involved in the garden out here because it allowed me to kind of tie my work role and my interest in this garden out here to Together a little bit um, and serve as something of a bridge both at the social level with students and the organizational level between Pacific and the box track farm um, in a couple ways so vis a V uh, that role at Pacific I actually have evolved to have a family plot out here which I hope to share with some students this year um, and we've been able to create a relationship where we have a much smaller garden on campus, and so we're actually able to bring students out here and they get training on a larger scale um, at different periods in time that we can't provide them on campus here. So I had actually heard about Bogstrack Farm in the first year I lived here. I've been here two years now, but I didn't have an opportunity to get out here. Um, So my role at Pacific gave me a chance to get out here and kind of meld the two things.
2: Great. So, what do you find um, uh, from your the students' perspective? What do they? F- what do you find that they're learning that they're picking up by coming into an actual working farm?
5: Yeah, I think, and um, gardening of all scales, both on our campus garden and out here, I think students are learning about how to have more control over what they eat and the simple fact that they can grow what they eat. It Really, we've seen students go from having no gardening experience on one hand, uh, to students who their families have gardened or maybe worked in agriculture their whole lives, actually start to be able to do it themselves. Take something from bare earth, actually work it, till it, seed it, harvest it, eat it, maybe can it, cook with it, um, which has been really empowering. I think they've started to see, we see students who went from a real assumption that everything comes from the grocery store to literally looking around them and asking why can't I eat that plant why can't I eat that plant like starting to eat the lawn on campus things of that sort so I think that sense of empowerment and that this is in my control and I can change what I eat has been enormous
2: that's uh that's awesome um so you mentioned you have a family plot what uh what are you what are you growing on that
5: we have a lot of tomatoes, including volunteers. One of the unique things that we have, actually, I have been growing some flowers from seed that we've been selling uh, on our our campus garden. It has a u pick, and we've invited Boggs to come out and sell certain things, and we've brought out some little posies of flowers, which have been fun to do. But another thing that I have is a. Um, a gourd that's going to dry and is often used as um, serviceware. So, I find a lot of challenges on settings like our campus garden and Boggs Track, which are actually having meals out here in a way that's sustainable and really doable without using disposables. So, I saw a thing about a farm in Ecuador that actually grows these hard shelled gourds, lets them dry out, and then they're woody basically, and they could serve as a lightweight, durable um, bowl or plate so that you could actually have meals in a sustainable way out somewhere with a lightweight material. It was renewable, so I'm actually growing here and in my backyard at home for the first time these hard-shelled gourds, with the hope that we can grow our own plates.
2: Oh wow! So growing your food and your plates—very awesome, Shannon. Thanks for coming on the show today.
5: Thank you.
6: My name is Eric Furpo, and I'm the farm manager at the Box Track Community Farm, and the owner of. Uh, Stockton Harvest, which is the business that was hired to manage, to basically uh, grow the crops and deliver the produce that's grown here.
2: Okay, so Eric, tell me about what your uh, specifically what your role is. When you when you actually do on the farm.
6: Well, um, it's my job to oversee essentially everything that's grown here and to. Um, get the volunteers that we have on the farm involved in management of the farm overall. So i it's my job to grow the crops and to deliver boxes of veggies to our customers. And eventually I'll have to oversee the farm stand when that's up and running. And uh, we're gonna have some restaurant business pretty soon. We're actually gonna build rows that are set aside specifically for a couple of restaurants in town who want our produce.
2: Well, so let's start with, um, recently my favorite topic. Let's talk about the box of
6: produce. Uh, what is it, what do you get and tell us about the program? Okay. So we, uh, our business, you know, there's two things going on at the farm. Well, there's a lot of, there's even more than two, but two of the big ones are, it's a commercial farm. So we grow crops and sell them to bring income to the farm. And, uh, Secondly, it's a community garden, so there are families out here that are learning how to grow crops without any need for pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, any synthetic chemicals whatsoever. So um, what we do is uh, grow seasonal, obviously. I mean, it's whatever we can grow in this climate, which is a lot of stuff, and um Right now, we have a mix of summer crops still, but we're planting fall crops as we speak. And um, we put those in boxes and drop them off to home. So, for instance, right now we have uh, you know, tomatoes and some squash and peppers, eggplant. Um, I always forget stuff when I say this. Oh, strawberries, melons. and But the other aspect of what we do um, is we, don't, we just planted an orchard here, but our, our fruit trees aren't going to produce for a couple of years. So one of the things that I've been doing for a while now in the business is picking fruit from, people who, uh, from people's backyards who have too much on their hands. So that's a way for us to get fruit in the box. People love fruit, and it makes the box more appealing. And then fruit doesn't go to waste. And we even pay a little bit of money to uh, come and pick people's uh, extra fruit.
2: All right, so um, tell us how much the box of produce costs and uh, and what the delivery
6: schedule is like. Okay. The cost of the box is $15 a week, and uh, we have broken the route into uh, two days. So half the people get boxes on Tuesday, the other half on Friday, and... Um, we have eggs. People have to pay extra for eggs. I've been making a lot of jam. I have my, my home kitchen is certified as a commercial kitchen in Stockton, so I can make jams and a, a lot of other foods, artisan foods that we can add to the box. And people have to pay a little extra for that. Uh, so, And most of the stuff is actually pick the day delivery. So that's uh, one of the things that we have to organize is getting a crew out here to help pick because that takes a while and pack. And then uh, I load up the van and drop it off to people's doorsteps
2: so for instance on friday uh, when i received my box uh, it was likely picked that same day some folks come out they pick they pack it in a box and for 15 bucks a week um, they get fresh produce it seems like as we've talked with susan and we've talked with um, shane and everyone else it seems that uh, there's plenty of opportunity for people especially young people in in our community to get processed food overly processed food food in a box Um, you know tell me tell me why obviously this is important to you from a farming perspective as it relates to um, our community and getting fresh produce out there
6: well I mean the reason that this farm is important and is is kind of the methods that we use and the mission that we're on which are many missions all in one but uh, you know we want to show that you can grow crops with no pesticides no synthetic chemicals whatsoever and they're better for the environment it's cheaper uh because you're not spending a lot of money on expensive chemicals that people have been brainwashed to think that they need to grow food which is just not true and it's not toxic so we're not poisoning the soil and maybe the groundwater um, or the plants themselves with with uh, you know chemicals that are going to damage your body when you eat them. So that that is super important, uh, I think. You know we want to to just have a successful business that shows that uh, there's a better, easier, cheaper, healthier way to grow food than what is done over 99% of the land here in this country and all over the world for that matter.
2: Great. And you also talked, Eric, about the. Um The fact that' it's, you're growing seasonal, you have to grow seasonal when you're not using chemicals and that you're growing what's appropriate for the climate. So what can folks expect for later in the year as we get into the, the, the winter months,
6: if, yeah. if they buy a box, what are they getting in their boxes? Well, the winter, you know the winter months, people uh, think that, oh, it's wintertime, you can't grow anything, which of course is not true. Uh, there's all kinds of cool weather crops that you can grow, such as broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage you know bok choy there's spinach a lot of greens so spinach lettuce uh, uh, collard greens mustard greens Um, that's just the you know some of the many crops that that you can grow and pick and deliver in the winter and in addition to that then we're out there scrambling to try to um, pick oranges from people's fruit because orange trees you know citrus actually we do really well with citrus because people have these big trees in their backyard and, you know, they just can't handle it. Especially if it's, you know, one or two people in the house or, um, you know, an elderly person, you know, that, that uh, just has way too much on their hands. So we try to put as much citrus in the box as we can and we do a good job of that. So those are the kinds of things in the wintertime that, that people get in their boxes.
0: My name is Shane Zarilgan and I'm the Family Shareholder Coordinator at the Bogstrack Community Farm.
2: Great. So, Shane, tell me about what uh, what your role here is at the Bogstrack Community Farm.
0: Well, um, like I said, I'm the Family Shareholder Coordinator. Um, The farm itself is kind of threefold. It has a, a production farm, a school garden. Uh, for a nearby school and also a community garden, and so it's kind of an intertwined thing. And I, um, I sort of help tend to the needs of the families that are gardening here in the farm. Um, that includes uh, getting families, um, maintaining a waiting list, uh, bringing in new families, holding families accountable to their um, their obligations uh, each. Each family that gardens here um, is able to garden here with uh, free of charge. No, we bring in compost, irrigation materials, water, uh, seeds, sometimes plants, um, education, and all that is free. Um, their obligation is to uh, work four hours a month on the production side of the farm, which brings in the money to pay for those things. Um, so I also uh, have to kind of make sure people are. Um, doing that uh, getting those hours Um, another aspect is outreach Um, a canvas uh, we're in a we're in bogs tract which is a um, what we've defined as a food desert an area without very very easily access to uh, good foods a a decent grocery store with produce Um, there's a liquor store but everything else is pretty far away and um, kind of cut off by freeway intersections here Um, and so the, um, I, our, one of our big goals is to get families from this area to kind of get, empower them to grow their own food, um, to learn about it, to learn about food and, uh, um, and to also bring food, good food to this community. So, um, I do a lot of outreach. One thing that we're starting is called 20 Gardens and Bogs Tract. uh, we've had difficulty getting families from the neighborhood committed to the 20 by 20 foot plots that are in the garden uh, in the garden section of the of the farm Um, so what i've done is to create a a sort of an introduction program where we would take small boxes um, that are four feet by four feet and and put them in install them at people's houses in the neighborhood that are that are interested and kind of get them started growing something i think growing food is is daunting to some people to take on a big plot but once you if you do a little bit of it uh, in a small space and get some uh confidence with it then i think people usually want to do more um when people take on a big chunk and uh they get overwhelmed and then they kind of have they they get a bad have a bad experience because of that and they don't want to go back and do it again so that's something i've been doing i really you know um Want the families want buy-in from this neighborhood? I think, I think at that we I think we have an understanding with the neighborhood and they understand what we're doing. But I don't think they see us as just yet as um, as one of the, of the neighborhood. If that makes sense, we're not we're not completely integrated yet, and so we're constantly striving to do that um, through interaction with the uh, community center right adjacent to us. And we just uh, constructed a farm stand, or it's it's just about finished. Um, so we'll be selling produce right out in front of the farm, so that uh, for really inexpensively, so that folks can actually purchase that. When we've uh, gone to like National Night Out or thing, events like that, and we've given away produce, people have been really um, excited about it, and you know clearly enjoy the produce, um, and you know the quality of the produce that, that we produce here, uh, completely chemical free, is really difficult to obtain. Um, and so I'm kind of proud of that of what we grow here and, and trying to get it to the community is really important to me
2: so Shane tell me what it means to be organic
0: um, I, well first I would say that um, just for the record we aren't are not certified organic um, we I use the term beyond organic something that people don't necessarily realize about organic um, produce and, and crops is that they are being organic, some people have a picture that organic means it's all natural. You know, somebody just walked out in the forest and picked up that carrot or something. And it, it's really not. It's a set of better practices, um, but they still utilize uh, chemical pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, fertilizers. All those th- all those chemicals are still used. They're just chemicals that break down faster in the environment, or are not quite as pervasive as the ones used in, in, in non-organic farming. Um, some organic farms use um, interplanting, which is something I can get into, but uh, m- let's just say methods that are, are more conducive to using less chemicals. Um, but a lot of organic farms are still monoculture, giant corporate farms. It's, you know, organic has gotten some um, popularity now, and people want it, which is awesome. And it's, and it's having an effect on how people farm. Um, but it's also, you know, there's also an aspect where the corporate monoculture farm is is doing some aspect of organic because there's money to be made there, Um, and uh, so I encourage people who who purchase organic or are interested in organic that they do their homework a little bit, Mm -hmm. do a little research about what it really entails to become organic. It's also an expensive process to become certified, Um, and while uh, the things we do would get us certified. Uh, we choose not to do that process, at least not now. Um, and so when I tell people well, we, we are beyond organic, we don't use any of those chemicals. We use compost and uh, manpower <laughs> um, to grow it. Um, yeah, and so I, I talked with a friend of mine once, and, and he mentioned that living in the va- the Central Valley, we're kind of in occupied territory, in hostile territory. Um, we are in sort of the mecca of corporate farming, um, really large-scale farms that grow a single crop and are run, you know, by a basically a lot of times a sharecropper family that is, you know, they're just a, a subsidiary of a corporation at this point. We have an image of, you know, a farm with cows and chickens and a red barn and all, you know, all these different crops and that just really isn't the kind of farm we have um, in, in, the, in the valley. Things are changing, um, I hope we're part of that change.
2: So Shane, um, how and more importantly, why did you get involved in, in this project?
0: Um, well, uh, I, I've lived in Stockton my whole life. Um, I enjoy gardening. Uh, I ran into um, some folks that were, as this was just getting underway, they were at Earth Day, and I met some folks that were involved with it, and Jeremy and Eric, our farm manager. I think I met Eric then. Uh, definitely Jeremy uh, Terhune, our executive director. And it uh, just sounded like a, a great thing to be involved in. Um, if you live in Stockton very long, you're inundated by negativity. Um, and it's easy to complain about things. And it's, But it is uh, nothing's going to change unless people do something. So I feel like uh, I try to be a doer and not complain so much about where I live and try to, you know, make it a better place. And, Um, I I thought this was an extremely great idea, uh, a great cause and um, a way to affect a positive change in the community and bring an aspect of community um, which would cure all the problems if you ask me. A a big problem with Stockton is that we don't have a big sense of community as a city um, or or even within some of our neighborhoods. It's just, it just isn't, in some neighborhoods we have it and some we don't, so, um, you know, developing community and bringing food to food deserts and, uh, food security, um, just doing something positive, I think is really important. Um, and I'm, I'm passionate about food, about, uh, what we eat and what it can do to you. Um, so I feel like this is about the best food you can get, um, and so that's what I want to be part of.
2: Great, and you're not a professional farmer or gardener. Tell me about your day job.
0: Yeah, I'm a I'm a middle school science teacher. Um, I I garden as I've gardened as a hobby in the past, and I've just gotten really passionate about certain uh, formats, certain styles of gardening, like permaculture and um, and uh, other sustainable practices. Just really trying to live that, and you know, <clears throat> actually. Some a reason why I've gotten into this is that I, when I was a kid, I got migraines all the time, and up until very recently, like super bad migraines, and uh, went to doctors and they gave me medications and stuff like that, and it uh, it just gave me a lot of side effects. Uh, it didn't really, and after a while, the medication stopped working on the headaches. But when I changed what I ate to whole foods, m- mostly whole foods. It, com- it completely rid me of migraines, something I'd been struggling with since I was 12 years old, um, and it got to be a problem that was like three times a week incapacitating migraines, which is not fun when you teach middle school. Uh, it, it, it's gone now. I haven't had a migraine in in uh, in almost two two years, and um, it's completely due to the the quality of the food I'm eating. That I'm eating whole foods and. You know, it just got me interested into what is our food doing to us, and, you know, there's a lot of that in the popular media now. It's pretty well known what, what the American diet has done to us, and uh, just trying to do something different.
2: Yeah, and being a middle school teacher, you must see the complete other extreme um, where t- today's youth certainly um, feel disconnected and, and oftentimes have no idea where their food comes from. Are you able to bring a little bit of the, the farm into the classroom?
0: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, I think that my students—if you did a—if I did a survey and asked them what they ate last night—probably half of them would tell me they had chips for dinner. Um, you know, the other half, another quarter of them would tell me they, you know, they ate um, at a fast food restaurant, and uh, the rest of them would probably tell me they ate something processed. You know, not too many of them would have eaten a whole, a vegetable that came from a produce section. Um, a lot of them. To families, a lot of people just don't cook anymore. It's kind of interestingly becoming lost, um, and our kids—they're eating—you know—they're they're easy prey. Uh, They—the the sugar that's in everything—they just—they just attack it. So, um, I'm trying to head that off. We do—we grow—we have a garden at my school. Um, I, I have kids in a garden club that grow there. We—we we, um, we try to bring that. I teach some nutrition and things like that. So I definitely try to. Bring it in. We actually might have funds this year to bring the kids out to this farm. So that's something I really want to do. Um, yeah, so.
2: So, Shane, tell me about uh, any successes that you've had out here at the farm.
0: Well, I always tell the story that there's a, there's a family out here that uh, that gardens out here. And they, they're typical of many of the families in that they've never gardened before. And they're doing everything for the first time. And uh, they grew a variety of different things in their plot. Um, They grew sunflowers, and the sunflowers are are a variety that's really big. And they came out one day, and they hadn't been out in a a week or maybe two, and the sunflowers were blooming and completely different than the last time they'd been out, and uh, the kids were in awe. They were just like, whoa, look at this, look at this, what is that? You know, it's the sunflower, you planted it, oh, and they'd never seen a sunflower before. I I found it almost hard to believe that they'd never seen a sunflower before and it blew them away they were just dumbstruck you know they just just awestruck is the better word they just sat there almost speechless just go you know just oh
4: wow wow and they
0: were they're just their jaw open just staring at it and it was it was a revelation to me it was a really inspiring moment because it just uh, made me realize that you know that not everybody knows about this and we're, we're reaching out to people strain time um, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what I think of when I think of my success.
7: My name is Susan Mora Loico. I am the board chair for Puentes, a nonprofit organization in Stockton.
2: Susan, um, tell me about the Block Track Community Farm.
7: Well, it actually is a dream project of our executive director, Jeremy Terhune, who did something very similar as a Peace Corps worker in Panama. He brought the concept here back to Stockton, and the Bogstrack Community Farm is a prototype. We're cutting our teeth on this community farm to learn how to put together a community farm that is a sustainable farming business. And then we will take this out into the rest of the community. We could take it out to the rest of the state, the country, the Americas, and do the same thing, to teach people about uh, nutritious food, eating locally, eating uh, fresh produce, su- supporting a sustainable farming business, and uh, where food comes from, and why it's important to our bodies to eat healthy.
2: So we uh, give our listeners kind of a, a glance um, which is kind of hard to do on an audio podcast, but a glance at the actual, um, farm. It's a couple of acres, um, situated in, the uh, the Bogstrack community. Um, and, uh, walk us through what, uh, what people would see if, uh, when they come out here.
7: Well, I, I can only tell you what happens when I bring most people out here. And they come down the street, they're in a, an urban development, uh, um, and, uh, they come around the corner and uh, the reaction is kind of the same. Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. There's a farm right in the middle of an urban neighborhood. Um, we are leasing two and a half l- acres now uh, of port property. The po- This site was actually kind of a like a junkyard, a dumping ground for people that come in and out of this community. And now uh, we have... Uh, a farm that is teeming with all different kinds of produce, uh, pollinators, bees, lacewings, butterflies that pollinate our, our produce. So it's like a little slice of heaven right here in the middle of Bog's Track.
2: So talk to me about the family plots and the uh, the roles of the stakeholders out here.
7: Well, we have about um, 25, 27 families who are renting a 20 by 20 raised bed. And with that renting of the 20 20 by 20 raised bed they pay 20 bucks a year and they get irrigation lines they get water seed instruction and I think they get a community sense of community they come out here uh, at least once a week on Saturdays is when we find most of our families out here in the spring and the summer you'll see folks out here after work um, working on their farm because it is uh, it is an ongoing process to plant keep your your, your plants uh, weeded and make sure they're healthy. And so uh, in addition to growing produce out here that they can use, and eventually when we have our, our farm produce stand, they'll be able to sell their own proto- produce. Um, we're also creating community out here where people are teaching one another, how did you grow your tomatillos? How did you grow your eggplant? Uh, this is what I learned from my from my corn or my tomatoes. And so they're sharing ideas, and they're, we're creating family out here.
2: All right, so let's let's um, you know t- talk to me about what kinds or what produce is grown out here. And obviously, we're in the in the uh, ne- near the end of summer, but um, and everything's very seasonal. But tell me about what's growing out here now.
7: Well, we're seeing a lot of tomatoes. We're seeing still a little bit of corn, uh, grapes, uh, tomatillos, uh, some uh, herbs like a mint, uh, rosemary, thyme, basil. Um Cucumbers, trying to think of everything here. Uh, just a little bit of everything that you'd see in the market or a farmers' market if you'd go out there because we are seasonal. and uh, we are in between seasons now, so now we're starting to plant seeds for the fall, carrots, um, Brussels um, uh, Brussels, not Brussels sprouts, uh, broccoli, cauliflower will be coming up in the winter so we start seeds now it's funny to 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 mention those crops because they're winter crops but you have to start seeding them now so we've got a little bit of everything out here
2: so since I don't have a green thumb (laughs) I'm always curious what is the easiest crop to grow
7: Well, that's not always an easy question because um, I guess... So so
2: you're saying that I can screw up anything.
7: (laughs) You too could learn how to grow something. You know, there's so many um, different issues. Um, A big one for a lot of home gardeners are microclimates. Um, I'll just take my own garden. Last year I had tomatoes and squash uh, coming out of my ears this year, uh, not so much. And the climate in my backyard may be different than the climate in your backyard. And part of the fun of of gardening and farming is learning what works, what what makes your garden grow, and how you can learn to overcome obstacles like pests or, um, you know. Uh, could be, too, you have uh, drift from somebody using Roundup in your yard next to you, which will certainly kill off your plants. So it's all part of learning. And also being aware that the different seasons, um, you may have different, like this year we've had not as much hot weather, and most people are saying, Lord, it's hot, but we haven't had the traditional hot weather, so some of our stuff isn't growing as it should. And that's why we try to grow all kinds of different crops so that we're growing something and producing something all the time.
2: So Susan, tell me why it's important to the uh, residents in this area, to the families and especially to the children to have this um, to have this in their in their community.
7: We selected Bogs because it's what is now known as a food desert. There's no market out here, no place for folks to live in this area uh, to f- buy fresh produce. So we specifically picked this area, so that we could reach out to um, this community. It's an underserved community, and uh, our hope is to bring people into the farm, whether they come just to buy our produce or just they want to be farmers or they want to volunteer to teach them where food comes from. The, the irony of the, this whole growing experience is that we live in the food basket of the world in San Joaquin. And so many people don't know where our food comes from because we've lost our agrarian roots, excuse the pun. Um, we don't know where food comes from. Children don't know where food comes from. So there, there's three, many, many issues involved with the farm. I was going to say threefold, but there are many issues in that um, we're teaching people how to grow food where it comes from. How to eat seasonally. Our body needs to eat seasonally. Um, there's a reason why we eat peaches in the summertime when we're more active and we can burn the sugar off, and why we eat dark green vegetables, you know, because we're hibernating in the winter, if you will. Um, we also want to encourage people to come out here, even if they don't want to have a, a plot, uh, come out here and help us work the farm, get some exercise, get off the couch, teach our kids that they have to move. They have to eat well and they have to move in order to. Um, have healthy bodies. You know, in this county, we have a high rate of childhood obesity and diabetes and moving and eating right. That's a way to, to tackle that. Plus, we were trying to create community. Uh, back in the day when I was a kid, you know, everybody sat on their porch at night and everybody knew everybody in the neighborhood. And we don't do that anymore. We go in the house, we, we watch television, we're on our computers, and we're not communicating with one another. So this is a great way to create community in, in Bogstrack and in other neighborhoods too.
2: Yeah, and uh, I know you've done some work with the nearby uh, Washington School. What can you tell me about that?
7: Well, we have a partnership with uh, Washington School and we're expanded this year. Last year we did a after-school program one day a week, and we alternated between uh, bringing the kids out into the farm, our school garden at the back of the farm here, And talking about how plants grow, kids may not have known it, but they were getting a little botany and a biology class, and um, they learned about where food comes from and how it grows. And on alternating Tuesdays, then we'd also take them into the community center and we'd do a nutrition program, taking produce from the farm, creating a meal, and teaching kids about produce and how you can create a real tasty meal that, that... Children will like and we have a lot of kids who have now learned to like carrots and cucumbers and what-have-you So we're forging that relationship. We had about 45 kids out here once a week And we're hoping to expand that and we've spoken to the superintendent of Stockton Unified and um, He's very interested in having us outreach to other schools as well So that's where it's going to start is teaching kids at home and then reinforcing it at school to eat healthy move your body and stay healthy much longer in life.
2: Susan, if folks um, in Stockton want to get involved in this project um, or out on the farm, uh, how would they do that?
7: There's lots of ways that people can be involved with the Bogstrack Community Farm. We're out here every Saturday from 9 to noon. People can come out and volunteer their time to help with the farm. There are always chores to do out on the <laughs> farm. They're never, There's never anything... We never have a day when we come out here and say, well, it doesn't look like we have anything to do today. Um, So they can volunteer. Just come on out to the farm. Our farm uh, crop manager, Eric Firpo, will be here, and he'll put you to work. Uh, Folks can also subscribe to our community-supported ag program, our CSA program, uh, where we deliver fresh produce to your door every week for 60 bucks a month. And then we have a a fundraiser coming up on November 3rd, uh, Sunday, November 3rd, here on the farm, where we prepare a meal, uh, we drink a little wine, have a little beer, ale, and we celebrate our harvest and we let people through the farm and meet our chickens and look at the different kinds of produce, see the, the school garden, and they can come out and do that as well. Um, information will be up on our website soon, so um, tickets are $35. We need the funding, always need the funding. We're not a, a business, we're a nonprofit, so we can always use donations as well. So there's lots of ways people can come out and help the farm and help the community of Bogstrack and help the greater Stockton community as well. If folks want to come out to the farm, we're located at 466 South Ventura Avenue in the Bogstrack community, just behind the Bogstrack Community Center. Or they can check out our website at puentes-americas.org.
2: And then uh, you mentioned the, the fresh produce delivered to your home weekly for $60 a month. How do folks sign up for that?
7: They can do that right on our website, too. All
2: right, great. Susan, thanks for joining us today.
7: Thanks, Matt.
2: Favorite spots uh, to have a restaurant is in in downtown Stockton, is the Hotel Stockton that was Paragary before and then Sass. And now, I hopefully it is settled as French 25. Um, I've been there, um, let me think three times now since they've opened. Uh, I think you've been there, right, Susan?
1: I have. I've been there three times as well.
2: Nice, but we haven't been there together. What's Uh, up with that? Yeah, what's
1: up with that's all wrong? That's not,
2: that's not fair, right. Um, I went, I think, the week after they opened, um, and I've been a couple of times, I was there twice for dinner, once for lunch. So uh, so yeah, let's talk about the newest, um, I don't know if they're the newest, but one of the newest restaurants in downtown Stockton, French 25, um, opened up from the owners of La Bistro. They closed La Bistro and decided to open up French 25. Um, in downtown Stockton, which right
1: is a pretty bold move, right there. Yeah, yeah, good very
2: for bold. them. Le Bistro had been around for a long time, very successful restaurant, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, so the first time I went to French tw- Twenty Five, I, for one, it was decorated a lot nicer than the last time I had been when the restaurant was something else. Um, so it was nice to see that they put some um, emphasis into the design and the decor and what it looked like. But uh, the first time I went, I had the uh, jambalaya. And I love jambalaya, um, if if it's made if it's made correctly. Um, And I got it with uh, with pasta, and it was amazing. Um, But that wasn't my favorite part of that meal because I got the appetizer of the alligator bites. Awesome! I was wondering if you've tried the gator bites. I
1: have not tried the alligator. (laughs) See, if I had been with you, then I could have would have definitely um, have done that. But no, and I was hoping that you would tell me a little bit about what the alligator was like.
2: It's look don and i went my wife was with me and she doesn't really eat a lot of meat um let alone alligator she was still grossed out by the fact that i was eating alligator um but i got them as a little appetizer it's just little pieces of alligator deep fried with some spices um you can't you would never this is the best way i can explain it you wouldn't pop one in your mouth and say oh wow i just ate a piece of alligator it doesn't because you have no frame of reference it just tastes like
1: so that's possibly a good thing. It tastes like meat.
2: I don't know how right. else. It certainly is Like isn't.
1: chicken? Isn't that what people always yeah, say when you eat not, something, you know, different yeah. frog legs? It just tastes like chicken.
2: It, and I, I wouldn't say it's a little bit more gamey than chicken, but mm-hmm. it did have a little bit different taste. But it's, it, look, there's probably more deep fried batter than there is catfish. But look, if I'm going there again, I'm going to go for the, the, uh, the gator because it I, it actually was really good.
1: Well, I admire that they have done something, you know, traditional and unique by, by putting that on the menu at all. So yeah, a little bit of French Cajun
2: that. down in, uh, down there. Now I ate there, I think actually I didn't realize until recently what, uh, why it's called French 25. And I was actually having a conversation with our, our web guru, Manny. And I said, yeah, it's a strange name. I can't figure it out. And he actually laughed at me because I had no idea. I never put two and two together, but did you have you figured out what it well, was? Well, now
1: I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, <laughs> uh, so I'm the slowest person in the room because I haven't figured it out either, so enlighten us. <laughs> so
2: I, um, uh, a, a, and I'm wondering because it must be maybe you and I are the only people because as I told the story, I was like, of course I know what it stands for. Oh,
1: God, there's a whole group of people that know <laughs> and we don't. That's great. So
2: think of it like French Quarter. Oh, hey. <laughs> wow. <laughs> French twenty-five, French awesome. Um, That's very clever. I think cle- a very clever name. Um, so, so tell me uh, at French twenty-five, the also known French Quarter. What uh, what what, what you've had when you've been there?
1: Um, I've been there for lunch twice and dinner once. So for lunch, I had the shrimp uh, po' boy. Is that how you say that sandwich? Oh yeah, yeah, and that was really good. It was good. I liked it. Um, you know, it wasn't. F- I didn't think it was fabulous, but it was it was definitely enjoyable. Um, And then for dinner, uh, I believe I had some of the uh, hamburger. The I believe it's called the French 25 hamburger, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. And I French um, 25 burger. I I love a good hamburger. Mm -hmm. Um, I've said many times, I think the best hamburger in Stockton is Flips. I still think the best hamburger in town is probably Flips, although there's many good burgers. But let me tell you, when I had the French 25 burger Mm -hmm. and I ordered it just like it comes, I think that might be one of the best burgers. Yeah,
1: it's pretty off the hook.
2: I mean, it it was... I'm not a hamburger snob, so I don't know the different types of hamburger, but it was amazing, good uh, hamburger meat. But then also the bun, it was just this real... You know, it's not a traditional hamburger bun. That's brioche, baby. Oh, brioche. Is that what that is? Yeah. I've seen it on the menus that I don't know what that means, but it was... Amazing. And it has. um, I got mine with cheddar cheese and they have a actually it's a sharp cheddar cheese. So I like that. It was really good. I I, if I go back, I will probably have that because I've been I had the jambalaya twice. um, And then the last time I went for lunch, I had the burger. I will definitely get the burger next time.
1: Yeah. And the fries I thought were pretty awesome as well. Yeah, as we've, we've talked, talked about, about fries.
2: We, yeah, They we, have never met a fry that I didn't like either, That's and they right. do have very good fries. They got lots of other good things on the menu. They got some great appetizers like um, the hush puppies. If they're a French cajun restaurant, they have to have that. Mm. But also, when I go back, I am going to try the mussels because um, I love mussels. So do I. So I, uh, I will definitely have to check that out. And it looks like in the few times I've been in there, they've been busy. They've been busy. When you've been in there.
1: Yeah. And that was, I wanted to mention that, um, not only is the, I love the decor, you know, it was, it had been done so nicely anyway, that I I don't know that they probably had to do a whole lot to it, you know, except let it shine. But, um, it was, uh, that was one thing I was pleased to see is that it was crowded every time I went in there. So twice for lunch and once for dinner, um, it was crowded. And so that's always good to see uh, a restaurant being supported. Um, we went after the movies, so I really enjoyed that—that that you could come right out of the movies and walk right over there and have a great meal.
2: Yeah, and you know, I've heard, although I have not been up there, that they have—they're opening the uh, rooftop uh, oh, for yeah. events and things like that, and that—that and that should be on everybody's to-do list is to um, uh, enjoy a nice dinner up on the rooftop. So. Yeah, I've never been up on the roof. Neither have I. I Those would like pictures to get up online, there. Uh, and it's it's I mean it has to be a, a wonderful view, mm-hmm. but um, at sunset,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So definitely, if you um, have not been downtown uh, for a nice dinner or even a, a nice lunch, definitely check out French Twenty Five d- in the Hotel Stockton building in downtown Stockton at one ten North Eldorado. Uh, you can find them online at French Twenty Five dot com or on Facebook at Facebook dot com slash French. 25, all spelled out. Of course, we'll put links in the show notes at podcaststocton.com. And if you check out French 25, um, let us know, let us know what
8: you call it. I'll be watching from the sky, guiding you every day, giving you the light you need to find your way so you can always make it home safe.
1: Thanks for listening to Podcast Stockton. We'd love to hear your comments. Call or text our listener line at 565-3229 or find us on Facebook or Twitter, username Podcast Stockton.
2: Music on today's episode is Halfway Gone by Michael Seymour. Check him out on Reverb Nation at ReverbNation.com slash Michael Seymour. And go watch him perform live on Saturday, October 12th from 6.30 to 9.30 at Worlows on the Miracle Mile. For links to all the things we talked about on today's episode, check out the show notes at PodcastStockton.com.
1: On behalf of Manny, Greg, Matt, and myself, make it great, Stockton.